Hi, I'm Tiffany Van Boxtel, and I'm a vocal coach. I help singers, singer-songwriters, and independent artists give vocal performances that they are proud of with as little as one hour a week of practice and without overpriced voice lessons. I am so excited to share all of the amazing guests, tips, and tricks on this podcast made specifically for singers. So be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you can tune in to a new episode every Tuesday. Today's episode is a special one. Well, they're all special, but this one is special because it is a first on the Star Singer podcast. Shauna Fallahi is back. She and you know she's amazing because she's our first and only repeat guest so far. We did episode 210 and that's about how the nervous system affects your singing. So if you haven't checked out episode 210, you could do these in any order. But like if you really want to get to know Shauna, definitely go back and check out episode 210. Because today we are talking about the benefits of meditation, specifically for singers. And it really pairs nicely with what we talked about with the rest and digest versus fight and flight and how the nervous system affects your singing in episode 210. So I will link that in the show notes. Don't forget to check it out because it's awesome. Still one of the most popular episodes. So it's just full, full of amazing stuff. But today we are also talking about using meditation to develop curiosity and questions that are going to help you to create a better practice and a better performance and how the act of creating mental space is so important for singers, especially, you know, singers and performers and how meditation helps you to achieve that. We talk about how meditation helps you to create a deeper understanding of yourself from both physical and mental aspects. Breath practices for singers, like breath meditation practices for singers and how how that works and how that aligns with our singing. How to consider using meditation as a way to gather just raw data that you can use in your practice and performance and how that is going to reduce your performance anxiety and also help you to learn more about yourself and help you to decrease any judgment that you have. We also talk about meditation as a practice to recognize impermanence, like everything changes and this is how it is. My cat is loving it. (laughs) If you can hear him in the background, that's what that is. And special treat, we are actually doing at the end of the episode, we're going to do a breathing meditation practice and a sound meditation practice. So you're going to want to stick around to the end for that. That is going to be amazing. All right, so let's just get started. Yay, I'm here with Shauna Fallahi and we are talking about meditation for singers. And Shauna is actually the only guest that has been on here twice. Oh, yay. Yeah, and if you haven't checked out her other episode, we will link that up, but it is just fascinating. I'm going to like see if I can find it here like real quick for you, but it is going to be a good complement to this if you have not checked it out. And when you do check it out, I will link that in the show notes because I cannot find it right now. <laughs> but it's going to be amazing. So, Shauna, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you help singers and how this meditation practice has been part of your singing and your work that you're doing? Yes, happily. So I am, I'm Shauna and I'm a classical singer and voice teacher in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I have a program called Embodied Singer, which integrates uh, movement, uh, 
primarily yoga-based movement, meditation, myofascial release, which was the topic the last time that we were talking together, um, and meditation and breath practices integrated with traditional bel canto pedagogy. Um, So I have found basically about 10 12 years ago, I shifted my lifestyle pretty dramatically and I had never really had any connection to my body. I had never done, you know, I was the typical like choir is my sport kind of person. And so I had never done any kind of exercise or movement. I was really scared of it. And about 12 years ago, I had a turning point where I started to move around and see what that was like. And it turns out I actually loved it. I loved yoga. I started doing um, an alignment focused bar and cycling program, which I ultimately became a teacher and a teacher trainer for. Um, So I fell in love with it the same way that I fell in love with singing. And then I guess my my tendency is to become really interested in something, see the value in it for myself, and then immediately want to learn as much as I can and share it with other people. So as I started movement practices, which then led me to meditation practices, I could immediately see the value for myself as a singer. And I would get enthusiastic and dig trainings and get certifications, and then just slowly started to integrate it into my voice studio. And the results were really astonishing because we sing with all of ourself, mind and body. It's all integrated. And as much as we might like do certain exercises for certain aspects, it's just like singing. You can focus on legato, but you're really focusing also on resonance and you're focusing on expression. Like everything is interrelated. And I found that with the body and the mind, everything is interrelated and it all shows up in our sound. It shows up in our artistry. So I really um, have found a lot of value in exploring these kind of other modalities and integrating them together. That's awesome. So what are some of the benefits of meditation, like just in general? And then how can that, how could we begin to apply that as singers or what's the connection? But let's just start with the benefits. What are some benefits of Meditation. Can I turn it around to you as the singer and the voice teacher and someone who is probably aware of a lot of these things? Like, what do you immediately associate with benefits of meditation? Focus. Mm-hmm. Focus. Um, body control. Like, sending the energy all through one place instead of, like, letting it get filtered everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah, are the, absolutely. Those are the big things for me. Cool. So yeah, on the mental side, a lot of people associate meditation, the benefits of meditation with being like mental acuity, fo- that single pointed focus, the ability to sustain concentration on something, which as singers, really, really important. We have this point of focus or this point of concentration, which is the musical expression that we're engaging with, right? So we have our intention for what we want it to sound like, how we want to express ourselves. And it's really challenging to sustain focus on just one thing right? Especially in the context of singing where we're working with other instrumentalists, we're working with a conductor, the presence of the audience, the presence of our fellow singers, our costume, like all these different elements are necessary, but they can pull our focus away from that point of intention, the sound that we want to make. That's so interesting. I'm actually reading Free to Focus right now by Michael Uh Hyatt because recently... I've just been feeling the calendar has been overwhelming and some stuff needs to go, you know, and he actually talked about how if we don't, if we're working on a project and we decide that it's too hard, it starts to get mentally challenging. You know, what do we do? Like Mm -hmm. we'll pick up our phone and like, we'll use that as a distraction. And he actually says that the more often that you do that, you're actually training yourself to be less focused. And in essence, you're almost like creating this environment that would be comparable to like ADHD as an adult, like just from your habits, not from, you know, if like that actual, you know, disease where there's hormone changes and all kinds of stuff like that. Like you are creating your own (laughs) like lack of focus. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're reinforcing that tendency of the mind to want to get distracted. And that's, we'll talk about this more when we talk about kind of brass tacks of meditation, but the mind is designed to get distracted. You know, we have tens of thousands of thoughts that go through the mind, mostly subconsciously throughout the day. And so um, over time, you know, our culture has gotten really fast. It's gotten really reactive. And so we're really accustomed to kind of just code switching, like going back and forth between tasks. But there's a lot of research around how it's very... Um, it's not beneficial to go back and forth between tasks because it actually takes quite a bit of time for the mind to settle, which I think everyone who's ever tried minutes. to meditate. Yeah, everyone who's ever tried to meditate has experienced that, right? That the mind is kind of going all over the place, which we'll talk about a bit more. But um, something that was really helpful to me on a silent meditation retreat that I sat in when was in January, not too long ago, was um, one of the teachers, Howie Cohn, was talking about concentration. And his take, which I like loved, and I really think this is relevant for singers, was that concentration isn't something that you do. It's not, concentrating isn't something that can be forced. Concentration is a state that arises when we connect to something and we're curious about it. So when we connect to an object of focus, say in meditation, say it's the breath, we connect to the sensations of the breath, and then we get curious about like every detail of that sensation. How is the body moving? What does it sound like? What does it feel like in the nose or the throat or the abdomen as it stretches? So um, that idea, I think for singers, of concentrating in the practice room or concentrating in performance by connecting to the music and being really curious, really intimate, like really connected to that experience, that's when concentration arises. Which is Rather awesome. Than just like, I'm gonna sit down and focus, <laughs> which then the mind rebels and we go for Instagram or whatever. We go for the easy thing. Yeah, that's, in well, that's interesting. And I'm, oh. Hmm. I'm wondering if we have to learn how to be curious I think about so. things. Yeah, I think we do. I mean, anyone who's ever experienced boredom, which is everybody, and boredom in meditation, boredom in practicing, boredom in class or rehearsal, you know, we're spending all of this money to study with these amazing teachers. And then also, sometimes we're bored. So that is usually boredom is a lack of curiosity. And on a beginner level, like if you're going in the practice room and you have your scales, you know, if you're just like running scales, that's not going to do anything. Right. Thinking, being able to think about it conceptually and like asking those questions. And then you think about like, well, what questions do I even ask? Yes. You know? And then it can get overwhelming and just like, I'm not even going to practice, you know. Um, I've definitely heard that a lot. So I think it's important to like, incorporate a concept with the practice and that's what you're talking about with the getting curious like what are we going to focus on like what's what grabs my attention kind of yeah so. absolutely and I think for me and my voice teaching that is something that's incredibly important to me is that dialogue between myself and a singer about what is interesting to you about this what do you want what are we curious about in terms of the sound, the sensation of producing the sound, how it connects to the poetry, like all of those different aspects are all opportunities for curiosity. And the meditation practice is a really interesting and somewhat challenging way to explore that because if you're meditating on the breath or you're meditating on a repeated mantra or something, meditating on the flickering of a candle, how can we get curious about something that maybe seems mundane, but actually has all this nuance, right? So then we can take that into reading something that maybe is not quite as intriguing or practicing scales, something that seems maybe ordinary. There's a lot that's interesting that can be found in that if we connect to it and get curious, and then we're able to sustain concentration. Yeah, that's really cool. That was a biggie for me. So that's, you know, on the mental side, people associate being able to focus, being able to concentrate, finer attention to detail, often improved memory can come as a result of medium to long-term meditation practice. And then on the emotional side, it really addresses some very significant aspects of our emotional life. So we have a tendency to respond to our environment, 
which I talked about a lot when we talked about the nervous system. We have um, sense, sensory experience that's coming in all the time. And then our mind makes a story about it. <laughs> so like if someone is walking towards us, we immediately are going through all the things that we know about people, about distance, about our environment and everything. And we're kind of making up a story. Like, am I safe? Am I not safe? You know, what's going to happen? Is this person my friend? Are they going to talk to me, etc. So the mind's ability to make up a story it's helpful and it's important, but those stories are not always accurate. And so meditation practice kind of gives us the raw data of experience and it helps us be able to experience what's going on in the present moment without inventing a story about it and just take in raw sensation. Ultimately, that creates this kind of buffer of space between ourselves and stimulation, where we have a little bit more mental space to figure out what's actually going on. Instead of having our knee-jerk reactions, like our stories that we tell ourselves all the time, there's that little buffer to go like, maybe that's not what's happening. So imagine, so I think a great example of this for singers, you go into an audition, you walk in, you're prepared, you're excited, you smile at the three people behind the table and they're just stone-faced, right? Mm -hmm. No response. It happens all the time. And we know intellectually that we don't know what's going on for them. They could be hungry. They could be intentionally being impassive so that they don't give anything away. They, they could be bored. Who knows? But like we tend to make up these stories and we tend to have a negativity bias where we unfortunately make up stories that are not so positive. So we might see that kind of stern facial expression from the person behind the table and think, oh no, you know, I'm the 18th person today singing Cuando Menvo. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear me. I'm not going to get this opportunity. And then it spirals. Someone who has an established meditation practice might be able to, in that moment, in that millisecond, go, I see this facial expression, it's triggering a response in me, but I don't actually know what's going on. So I'm just gonna reconnect to my music, offer my expression and leave it up to chance. So it's having um, a little bit more space between what's coming in and how we respond to it. And that's something that gets cultivated in the meditation practice. And there I think the value force for singers in particular is tremendous because we are so sensitive we care so much about the music that we've spent our lives cultivating we care so much about how people respond to us generally that any little space we can create i think is really helpful well and in performance all of that information is coming to us even faster a million oh miles a minute yes. and there's even more of it so being able to filter that out or make choices, positive choices based yeah. on that, or choose to refocus is, is great. My immediate thought, if I hadn't had any experience with meditation, is how am I going to sit still for five minutes and focus on one thing, you know, for five minutes, and if I can't, do that and be perfect at it. Like I might as well not even try, but I noticed that you're calling it a meditation practice. Oh so. yes. Big time. Yeah. It's such a good question. It's like the essential question for, for new and established meditators is how, how do I manage the natural inclination of my mind and body, which is to move. You know, if you think about like if we're sitting down or laying down, you might get into a position that feels really comfortable and yet we're constantly shifting around. You know, the body is designed to move throughout the night. We're turning over side to side, we're moving our blankets, etc. The mind is absolutely designed to move, to make connections. You know, you might feel the breath and it reminds you of some phrase that you sang and then all of a sudden you're like, re-experiencing yesterday's voice lesson, like in your mind. <laughs> and then you go, oh wait, I'm meditating. So I think the most important thing to know is that you are designed on every level to move. That doesn't mean that you have to, but it's natural. So if you decided to do, say, a seated meditation, where you would benefit from stillness. Because we're trying to concentrate the mind, any movement is a distraction from that concentration. But it is natural to want to move. So when you are seated in meditation or standing or lying down or walking, which are all traditional meditation postures, 
when you're in those positions, you kind of have come to a little crossroads. Like you'll be sitting and then you'll feel your nose itching. And you might note that itching, itching, itchy nose, really want to scratch. Like that's the raw data of the experience. It's like, you feel that, right? And then you make the decision, okay, is, can I be with this? Can I let the itchiness just exist? Because I know it will go away. I'm not going to itch for the rest of my life. It's not going to kill me. Can I be with this? Or is it really necessary for me to scratch my nose? But just having, that's another example of that little buffer of space that normally if our nose itches, our hand goes right to the nose and we scratch it, right? But having that little space of noticing, oh, I'm experiencing this. This is my typical reaction. Now I have the opportunity to either engage with that typical reaction or do something different. And that's, I think, really the power of the meditation practice is just giving that opportunity to make a choice. So for you, if you are someone like many of us who gets antsy in seated meditation, you might decide to be with that and to strengthen your ability to withstand those impulses, or you might move, you know, and it's up to you, but it's about making that choice. That's where the value really is. Cool. And even with something like breathing, when you're sitting versus standing versus lying down, that breath feels different. Absolutely. That creates interesting data for us as singers. Yeah. And it also um, enhances like performance opportunities, like where you might be sitting on stage, you might be lying down. Or standing, which can be actually a very challenging posture to sustain. It's kind of ironic that we do all of our performances, for the most part, standing up. Because anyone Mm. who has been in a yoga class standing in Tadasana, which is the mountain pose, the standing pose, you realize how much you just kind of want to shift and move around when you don't feel like you're, I'm putting it in air quotes, like doing something. When we're just standing, we realize that the alignment of the body vertical against gravity is pretty challenging to sustain interesting yeah yeah so that can be a tricky a tricky interesting posture so do for singers doing some meditation standing maybe for five or ten minutes and really standing again air quotes still because the body is never really still but standing without much movement and just feeling the movements of the breath and the very subtle shifts of the body could be a very interesting practice, gives us a lot of information that we could take directly on stage about our alignment, about where we are in space, you know, how our body is, um, is responding to pressure. Which is super interesting because sometimes I'll ask people if they're comfortable when they're standing because I can feel I look at them and they're not, Yeah, you know? So like, I know the answer, they're not comfortable, but like, how can we make them more comfortable? Are they feeling more comfortable? And a lot of people don't know if I'm standing with one foot in front, which foot is it? And they don't know. They don't, oh yeah, haven't yeah. felt it. And it's, it's very interesting because if you are, don't have this intimate relationship with your body, it's really difficult to ask it to do something technically and artistically like singing and have it respond in a way that's even remotely in your control if you don't have that awareness from the 100 percent yeah the awareness is everything and that's really that's really at the heart of what a meditation or a mindfulness practice is about there are many 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 different styles of meditation from different parts of the world but all of them are about awareness All of them are about stepping out of the time machine that we're constantly in from, you know, time machine into the future, time machine back to the past, to step out of that and come into the present moment with awareness is the heart of all of these practices. And you're absolutely right, as a singer or an artist, we can't make these really beautiful artistic choices if we don't really know what's going on, (laughs) or we don't know what we want. So understanding that from both a physical 
perspective and then also from a mental and emotional perspective, we realize they're all linked together. And as far as like movement practices, I think the great value of doing meditation separate from a movement practice is you cultivate that awareness. And then when you come into yoga or swimming or biking or qigong or singing or anything that is asking now more coordination and awareness, spatial awareness and um, expressivity in the body, that we have even more of that raw data that we've experienced in a more still posture to then bring that awareness into something that has movement. So there's a lot of value there too. And that, that's a great practice for people who are just really uncomfortable being in a more still position, bringing that mindfulness and awareness to a slow movement practice is a great way to engage with it too. Well, that's interesting. It all counts. I have, <laughs> I have trouble sitting still, but I don't have trouble singing still because singing doesn't feel like sitting still to me. Ah. <laughs> so I just realized that because, you know, you've got the energy like moving through you and you've got the stuff resonating. So it feels, it definitely feels more like movement which is kind of an exciting realization. <laughs> yeah, it's active. I mean, and when you were talking before about when someone is standing and if we're looking at someone who looks physically uncomfortable, what would make them comfortable? Typically introducing some movement. So it's subtle, like not something that would be distracting on stage, but a, you know, very, very subtle movement at the joints, at the ankles, at the knees, at the hips, at the shoulders. Just that little bit of life um, can free everything up. And then in, and so meditation is sort of the opposite. It's teaching us how to be, find relative ease and comfort in stillness. And, I, and it's a practice, just like anything else is. So if it was something that you wanted to explore, I would recommend starting with a very short amount of time, like two minutes. But in those one or two minutes, you set a timer and you decide, you know, no matter how itchy I am, no matter how much I want to move, I'm just going to be present with stillness and take it as a challenge. It's not necessary to do that in meditation all the time. But if it's something that is really challenging, I think occasionally it's a good idea to face it head on, but in just a very small duration. That comes yeah, up, okay. you know, I sit, I sit um, silent meditation retreat, extended residential retreats, where you're meditating upwards of 10 hours a day. And it's usually a combination of seated meditation and um, walking meditation, where it's not like a nature walk, you pick um, an area that's about 10 to 20 paces, and you very slowly walk back and forth along that little track, um, which is great. That's a great thing for people who really need to move around because it's very slow and meditative, but not completely still. But in those retreats, often you'll experience a lot of physical discomfort. So hips will ache, knees will ache, and that's an opportunity where you either decide to inquire get really curious about the nature of that sensation. Is it heat? Is it pressure? Is it tension? Is it itching? What is it? Or decide like, I have to move my leg or it's going to fall off. Like I, you know, sometimes you get to that point, you're at that crossroads where you can't be with the discomfort and you really just have to make that other choice. And that comes up with emotional discomfort too, because while meditation is often, people seek a meditation practice for calming, and it can be calming, the stillness, the awareness, that can downregulate the nervous system and help to calm you. But sometimes in meditation, especially if we're going through any kind of personal difficulty, you'll come right up against it. When you're seated in meditation, that's the time to be present with all the thoughts that are coming through the mind. Not all of them are pleasant. And so then sometimes we come to an emotional crossroads of discomfort. Can I be with this? Or do I need to get up and do something else or end my meditation practice for the moment because it's too uncomfortable? And it's a choice. It's just an opportunity to observe what's going on, observe our innate reaction to it, and then maybe make a different choice. Same in the practice room. You know, you start practicing, maybe it's not going as well as you want to, and you're at that crossroads of like, okay, do I want to stay with this and pursue it, get curious? Do I want to pivot to another exercise or another piece that might be more comfortable or work better for me right now? Or do I really need to just get up and go have a muffin and come back later? <laughs> you know, and that we, we get confronted with those crossroad points all the time, you know, and it's really interesting to have an established practice where we have come up in against that in a thoughtful way and then can make those interesting decisions. 
cool. I love how yeah. you brought up the the mindset, the space, and the awareness, and the body awareness. And stereotypically, at least my experience has been that singers get into meditation because they believe that it's going to affect their breathing, which is true. Mm-hmm. But you led with all of these other points. And how do you feel about their importance versus the importance of breathing? And then can we talk a little bit about the breathing that we can, how we can benefit from the breath practice inside the meditation? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so the, the relationship with breath and with singers is really interesting. Of course, you know, the breath is the sound. So it, it's, essential to us. And it's really common in the meditation practice to use breath as an anchor for attention, as a point of focus. What's interesting with meditation and its relationship to the breath is that it's not about manipulation of the breath. It's not about maybe, you know, extending the exhalation or extending the inhalation or doing any kind of patterning with the breath. It's about simply observing the nature of the body breathing itself. So for a singer, I think it can be interesting to do a breath-focused meditation and sometimes maybe a little bit disconcerting because the breath, when you pay attention to the breath in meditation, you realize that every breath is different. Some are expansive, some are teeny tiny, sometimes the inhale's longer or the exhale is longer. Sometimes they have sort of a ragged quality or sometimes they're smooth. And it's about observing those differences and the impermanent nature of the breath. That's kind of the focus in meditation. Where I think there's a bridge between the the way we use the breath in singing, where we are in a positive way manipulating the breath, we're manipulating the way the body receives breath, the way the breath leaves the body, right? And that coordination is essential to singing. So the bridge between the totally passive awareness of breath in meditation and the very um, sophisticated and cultivated coordination of breath in singing is in yoga, the concept of pranayama. And pranayama are breath practices that have all different intentions. There are many different kinds. People are often familiar with alternate nostril breathing, where you block one nostril, you inhale through, and then you exhale through the other nostril, and then it kind of winds in kind of a rainbow arcing over the um, septum. So there are breath practices where you can work on breath coordination and breath manipulation out of the context of singing. So those practices I think are really interesting and I use them a lot in my voice teaching. There are ones that can, I like Kapalabhati breathing, which is a forceful exhale through the nose and passive inhale. And I use that for abdominal strengthening and flexibility. So it it correlates directly to singing staccato. So there are breath practices that singers can pursue that I wouldn't call meditations because they are manipulations of the breath, but they're really, really interesting and can translate nicely to singing. They also, um, the intention with pranayama is to affect the energy of the body and the mind. And so typically with the nervous system, with our fight or flight versus rest digest, I won't go into that because we talked about that before, but um, with the nervous system, typically the exhalation is calming and the inhalation is mobilizing or energizing. When we inhale, our heart rate increases about 20%. When we exhale, the heart rate goes down. But what's interesting about that for singers is that often inhalation is calming to a singer because it tells us we have breath to sing on and exhalation feeling depleted of breath while it is calming to the body neurologically, it can be stressful for a singer. Because that feeling of being diminished and being like, air quotes, out of air, you're not really, but that feeling of being out of air can be stressful for a singer. So I think to tie it back to meditation, with meditation, a singer has the opportunity to feel all of the incarnations of the breath, large, small, fast, slow, ragged, smooth, you know, barely perceptible, deeply expansive, and get comfortable with all of it. So that in the moment of singing, if the breath coordination is not exactly what we've practiced, we know we're still okay. 
Does that make sense? That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of content. Yeah, that's a lot. And it's very interesting. I loved how you said the energy is in the inhalation. Normally when I'm working with a lot of singers, the process is trying to get people to release. Ah. And release that energy. Mm-hmm. And, and that letting go. But then after you get the hang of that, it seems like gathering this in an energetic inhalation then becomes a challenge and balancing the two. So this is just something in practice that I've noticed for singers that is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's all on a continuum, right? And so we'll bring our awareness to some aspect of our singing technique and we work on that a lot. And then we find the pendulum needs to swing the other way. So yeah, I mean, when I... when I think about breath coordination for singers, and this would be a whole other conversation, but, but both are a release. The inhalation is a release. The exhalation is a release, but they're both energetic in their own way. You know, they're, even though yeah. the exhalation is a release of sound for singing, at least when we have to sustain a particular amount of air coming out at a certain amount of time, then there is a physical energy that of course supports that. So yeah, yeah. I think the, it's, it's fascinating. But the idea that meditation gives you the raw data of experience without any manipulation, I think there's a lot of value in that, of experiencing the nuance of breath separate from singing. So that then maybe, you know, maybe a beginning singer who is doing their vocal exercises, but isn't necessarily so interested in those vocal exercises, maybe they start to get more curious about the nuance of the breath in their singing after having experienced that in their meditation. Yeah. I mean, at least you consider (laughs) the, you could consider the momentum of the breath in its natural state and try to use that to your advantage while you're singing, because that's a big deal. I mean, (laughs) if you're not releasing at the exact point where the inhale and the exhale meet, then you're losing so much. Yeah. And (laughs) so that's a really, really interesting practice. What are some examples that you can think of, of ways that singers could begin this meditation practice today in a very simple way if they've never tried it before? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, first thing that I would say is just do a very short amount of time. Set your phone timer, set your alarm clock for like two minutes. Seriously, it sounds like nothing, but it can feel like an eternity. (laughs) And it also could feel like it goes by very quickly. So I would recommend starting really small, but starting small, but also maybe committing to a week or 10 days, not, I wouldn't necessarily commit to a month unless, you know, you've done it already and you've kind of bought into it, but committing to a very, very short duration meditation over enough time that you can start to get used to it and then evaluate kind of what you think. So if a singer wanted, you know, was intrigued by this and wanted to start today, um, do you want to do some short practices or do you want me to just describe some ones that they could do? Oh, we can do them if you want. We could do a do you want to try them. do you want to try being seated and seeing if you can tolerate sitting and meditating? <laughs> I think we you talked can. about this. I'm not a great sitter stiller. okay, I'm ready. So something I'll kind of probe you a little bit. What do you think will happen if you sit still? Uh, (laughs) Tiffany's eyes are going like side to side, side to side. (laughs) It feels like there's a lot of energy buildup that I'm not sure what to do with. What and and if you follow that a little bit further, what will happen if you don't discharge that energy? I will get anxious. Oh, and that can come up. Absolutely. So, and that would be one of those crossroad points where if you were seated, say you're paying attention to the breath and that makes you feel anxious, then we recognize that. And then we make the decision like, okay, do I want to maybe pivot my meditation practice to a different anchor? Do I want to turn it into walking meditation? Or do I want to be with this and be with like, what does anxiety feel like? 
what does undischarged energy feel like and actually get curious about that. That I think has tremendous value for singers. And you had asked me how, um, how, how meditation has impacted my life. And in my opening, I didn't address that. But for me, I've always had very profound stage anxiety, really, as I'm sure many people can relate to, um, very intense perfectionism. I, until I started my meditation practice, I had never come off stage of a performance and felt proud. I had pretty much always come off of performances feeling ashamed, mostly because in the moment in performance, I was so subsumed with anxiety that I didn't have access to my breath. I didn't have access to my memory, didn't have access to my creativity, and I could never sing on stage anywhere near the way I could sing in private. And that was really, really frustrating. And I've been a professional singer for decades. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not like I haven't had opportunities to perform and get used to it, but it was really difficult for me. And what I found um, for me, the combination of yoga and meditation practices and myofascial release down-regulating, calming my nervous system gave me much more space to respond to what was going on in performance rather than react. So say I came on stage and I felt some tightness in my body rather than going, oh no, I'm not going to be able to breathe. I can't sing. It's going to be a disaster. I would have a moment of like, okay, well, how can I let go? I've, I've felt the raw data of this before. I've felt these sensations before. How can I let go of this in this moment and continue with this performance? And it actually started to happen like right away. I was amazed, which got me so committed to my own practice. And then also sharing these practices with others because I saw a change in what it felt like to perform that I didn't think I would ever experience. It helped me. <laughs> there are a lot of things that that it helped me with in my own singing. I um I you might be able to tell a little bit from my speaking voice, and also Tiffany can see the way that I'm built: tall, long neck, high cheekbones, very mezzoy build. And I've always had this question with myself and other people, kind of on my team, voice teachers and coaches, about whether I was a mezzo or a lyric soprano. And I always knew in my heart that I was a mezzo. And I had people in my life um, who believed for various reasons that I was a lyric coloratura soprano, though I have no extension. So I have no idea like why they thought that. Um, but the Fach question had always been really, really confusing and really frustrating and contributed to my sense in performing of like, I don't, I don't know who I am up here. I don't, I'm singing repertoire that doesn't really fit. Like, I don't know. And it, but then I would get hired for stuff and my career kept progressing. It was like, all right, well, I'll just deal with this. When I started my meditation practice and started to really investigate my raw emotion, I came into contact with a lot of answers about things I wanted to do in my career. And the answer that like, yes, I definitely am a mezzo. That is what feels right to me. A lot was revealed to me when I slowed down in the form of these practices and gave myself the opportunity to actually see and perceive what was really going on for me. So there was tremendous value there in terms of my career and understanding who I was as a singer just by by slowing down, by kind of tuning out all of the noise, well-intentioned noise of other people, but really connecting to myself and asking these important questions. And I think that meditation in particular gave me the space to hear those answers. Totally. And I've so been trying that. to sit still throughout that whole thing. I know. So what I was, that's what I was just going to say. I was just going to say that as I was talking about all of that, you were totally still. I was and trying. I don't, know, I don't know how present you were as I was describing that, but you definitely looked like you were present. Um, but yeah, you sat very still. What did that feel like? I realized very quickly that when I was just sitting naturally, there was a lot of energy here. Yeah. And so I just tried to send it down. Yeah. And breathe yeah, into yeah, yeah. it. And then that felt better. <laughs> and that's important to know too. So we will, now we'll do like a very brief sit and we'll do a breath focused, which is a, you know, great starting meditation. Though I will say that focusing on the sensations of the breath, it's quite subtle. I think for a singer, it is less subtle because we are more attuned to the movement and rhythm of our breath. So it might feel actually more accessible to a singer than it would for a typical person without much relationship to their breath starting that practice. Um, but what you can identify if you're starting to feel like 
you're too still, that, that um, energy is accumulating that needs to be discharged, let the breath move that. You know, get curious about the, the movement of the breath. When you said that energy was accumulating, you gestured to your chest and kind of solar plexus, upper abdominal mm -hmm. area. That's a place that's right at the level of the diaphragm. So that's a place where there's going to be movement internally. So even if the outer body is still, just like when we're sustaining a yoga pose or we're standing in a choir or something like that, the outer body is pretty still, but the inner body is really alive. There's a lot of movement and energetic flow happening in the inner body. So if it's uncomfortable to sit still, air quotes, notice the movement that's going on inside. Which is basically singers. Singing. Like, it's singing. singing. It is the act of singing. It's the mental and physical integration of singing is observing the movement of energy in, out, in, out. That's always happening. So we'll just sit for about two minutes and so if people are doing this in the car, please keep your, uh, listening to this in the car, please keep your eyes open, keep your eyes on the road. Um, but if you're at home, you can come into a comfortable seat where you want to have some element of spinal alignment. So you're sitting pretty upright so that your breath can move easily in the body, just like in singing, um, but not rigid. And we know from singing too, that we want to bring the body into alignment, but alignment is dynamic. Alignment is responsive. So your body can be responsive to this. Eyes closed tends to be a little easier for concentration, so we can go more inward. But if that makes you uncomfortable, keep the eyes open. And then we'll start by taking a few deeper breaths. So you intentionally inhale, expand the body, and then release that exhalation. And do that a few times so that you can start to notice where you feel sensation of breath in your body. You might feel the movement of the abdomen, you might feel the movement of your chest or your ribs. You might feel the sensation of the air on the nostrils. And whichever place is the most prominent, the easiest to watch, bring your awareness there. Now let the breath just come back to its typical rhythm and watch the breath going in and out. Right away, you might start to have thoughts that draw you into something else. The practice of meditation is letting that go without any judgment, knowing the mind is designed to move, but letting that go and returning back to your point of concentration, which in this case is the movement of the breath. Every time you get distracted and you come back, that's the practice. As we watch the breath, we notice the differences between each breath. Every inhale is a little bit different. Every exhale is a little bit different. You might sense in your body areas of the body that feel a little stuck or stiff and less responsive to the breath. Then you might notice the places that are really elastic, stretching with the breath. For the last few moments, if the mind has wandered, bring it back. Get intimate with the movements of your own body breathing. your eyes are closed, you can open them, take in the room, restoring the visual sense. And you meditated, hooray! So if you've never meditated before, if you're listening to this, you just meditated, you get snaps and claps. So what was that? Do you want to share what that was like? Sometimes people do not like to talk about their experience in mm. meditation. I fully respect that. Oh, it was okay. It was it was good. Um, an interesting. Is that very thing. still? <laughs> Thanks. I wiggled my toes a little bit at some point. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, I did notice right away the breath. When I take in breath for singing, I tend to do it in a very Italian way. It's very mm -hmm. high and it's mm. very for forward. Mm. Um, 
but I know that the external intercostals spread the rib cage apart and then the diaphragm sinks. But in that moment, I felt a lot of sideways expansion where normally ah. I feel front expansion. Interesting. Yeah. So then I let that go a little bit lower and I realized that my jaw was pretty tight. Ah. I've just, I just had um, dental work. I broke a filling oh, like no. two weeks ago. Uh-huh. And I've noticed that since then there's been a sure. bit of, of grindy, clampy yeah. in the jaw. And so mm-hmm. I just tried to release that a little bit. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time focusing on the jaw. And then I noticed that then the stomach was moving a little bit more forward like usual for me personally. Mm-hmm. So that's about where I got with it. It's great. I mean, it's exactly where the value of that type of practice is unique for a singer is just that raw data of experience. Like how does my body, when left to its own devices, how is my body moving? You know, and say, you know, we did two or three minutes of just a seated awareness practice of the body before vocal practice, it would give you some really valuable information about like, okay, you know, my ribs are swinging laterally really beautifully. I'm really feeling that, but my jaw is tight. So maybe I'll do a short myofascial practice for my jaw. Maybe I need to spend a little bit more time stretching my jaw and tongue and neck, but the ribs are good to go. You know, we're just noticing these different things, noticing where, where we notice, right? Are we more attuned to the front body? Are we more attuned to the back body? Like you said, different postures can bring different information. So if we did a breath practice lying down on the floor, it's going to bring more attunement to the back body because there's the feedback from the surface underneath. So that's where I think, you know, these very, very simple practices can be adapted to be very functional for a singer. It was not their original intention to have us like notice the movement of our intercostals, but for (laughs) singers, that's really important information. And it's the kind of thing that we might miss if we jump even into a simple vocalese. If we jump right into that, we're contending with so much different information. And we usually do those, of course, with our eyes open. So there's, we don't really, I think recognize how influential the visual field is, but we are taking in an enormous amount of information visually. So any practice that gets us to really kind of focus on one sense, like the sensation of movement or, you know, the sensation of feeling breath, whatever, um, can be really valuable because usually we're taking in so much at once. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the idea of just saying like, what is happening today and how can I change my singing practice to accommodate for that? Or how can I relax my judgment on this because this is a thing today? Yeah. The relaxing judgment piece is really central to the meditation practice. It's the ability to, to observe what's going on in the moment in our body or in our mind. You know, I think the same type of practice, you were noticing a lot of physical sensation. Another person might be noticing what kinds of thoughts are coming through, you know, and then that and meeting and meeting anything where it is meet, you know, noticing how we're, how we're feeling emotionally, mentally, but also physically, and then choosing practices that are going to help bring us into balance without judging what's there. But if it's helpful to make some kind of shift, then we go into our other practices, movement, myofascial, maybe um, pranayama, breath practices, or vocal practices to bring us into balance. I can see where this would be helpful in isolating the one sense as well, because when we're singing, we get different information about how we want to change. Maybe we receive that information orally. Maybe we receive that information. It was usually not visual unless you're like looking at the music. Um, But like either in our body, so either kinesthetically, movement-based, or orally through our ears. And some days, one thing, one sense seems stronger than the other. Yes. And that's helpful information to go into the practice session or voice lesson that day as well. Like, hey, my ears are working big today, so I'm going to really focus on that. Yeah. Or I'm going to try to incorporate the other sense as well so I can balance it out a little bit. Absolutely. So that kind of leads me to another short practice that I thought that we might do today, which is a listening practice. Oh, fun. Yeah. So when you, um, meditation kind of broadly is in sort of two big categories. There's the open awareness practice where you just simply kind of receive, like I've been saying several times, raw data. You receive information, thoughts, 
physical sensations, etc. You notice them and you let them go. So they're just like passing clouds kind of coming through. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's many practices. The ones that people typically engage with are concentration practices where you choose an object of concentration that you use as an anchor for your mind. And then you notice when other kind of clouds pass through, but you let them go and you come back to that anchor. So just now the anchor was the breath. So that would be considered a concentration practice, though there's overlap between the two. Um, so this concentration practice will use sound as the object of concentration. So simply mm. listening to every sound that's coming through the environment. So near and far, short and fast. And it's interesting to do this like where it doesn't seem like there's a lot of sound in what feels like a quiet space because you realize there are all these like little clicks and chirps and sudden sounds that we don't really pay attention to because they're not meaningful to us. We don't make up a story about them. So we're not really interested in them. But as singers, musicians, like that very, very fine detailed listening is happening below the level of consciousness. And that's how we make adjustments in our voice. It's a loop between the ears, the voice, the brain, ear, voice, brain, ear, voice, brain, or really ear, brain, voice, ear, brain, voice. But that feedback loop is happening constantly. So if we can do practices that really fine tune our oral awareness, it can be tremendous for adjusting our own singing, but then also collaborating with fellow musicians. Sweet. We're going to create yeah. our own 433 composition here. Exactly. <laughs> oh, can I tell a funny anecdote about four minutes and 33 seconds, which in case yeah. people don't know, it's a John Cage piece where the, the score is just, I think, a rest or a fermata or something like that. It's not, there's, there's no intended sound. The music for four minutes and 33 seconds arises in the sounds in the environment. So my very um, first instrument that I studied was clarinet. And I started singing at the same time. And my band teacher in my little elementary school in Oakland, California, he was the band teacher for three different elementary schools in the district. And we would do this combined concert every year. <laughs> this is fourth, fifth, and sixth grade instrumentalists. And he programmed Cage four minutes and 33 seconds. And the parents were like, what? <laughs> parents were totally confused. And it was so funny to have... <laughs> probably a hundred fourth, fifth, and sixth graders on a stage, like shuffling and dropping their instruments, like messing with their reeds, like da da da. And we did a very inspired performance of four minutes, 33 seconds. Which There's music in everything. Totally, it's hilarious. <laughs> and there is, there really is. The other piece of this practice, um, which I'll talk about now because I bet I'll forget if, if I don't say it now, is that meditation practice, a lot of it is about the recognition of impermanence, that the only constant in the world is change. Nothing stays the same. And we know that. And sometimes circumstances in our lives arise where we know that even more keenly, right? So this type of practice, breath practice too, but I think the listening practice is really interesting for impermanence because it's just these like teeny little blips of sound, like, a, you know, the click from a radiator or a floorboard or something or a cat meowing, you know, it comes in and it goes away just as quickly as it arrived. That has amazing implications for us in our emotional lives and our physical lives. Because when difficulty comes up, if we have experience recognizing impermanence, we can let those things go. We can know that, you know, if you're waiting outside for an audition and you feel your heart rate increase and all this anxiety is coming up, it will leave <laughs> if we let it, you know? And so doing practices where we really come into contact with impermanence, I think has a lot of value. So why don't we sit, we'll just do another kind of two, three minute practice, pretty short. Do you want to do this one seated or do you want to try a different posture? Hmm. I'll just sit for the pod, sit for recording. <laughs> Otherwise, cool. I would try a different posture. Lie down or something. Yes, and just FYI about seated meditation, you can totally sit in a chair. You don't, the little meditation cushions are called zafus. You don't need a zafu. Um, you can just, or a yoga Ooh. bolster or anything, you can just sit in a chair. <laughs> I'm going to have to get myself a zafu. <laughs> yeah, they're cheap. You can get, you can get a pretty decent zafu on Amazon, if you're an Amazon shopper, for like 25 bucks or something like that. Cool. And then you get fancy ones, whatever. I actually, I game changer for me on my last meditation retreat, there are these 
um, meditation benches that are sloped down so you put you are kneeling and you put this little bench over your calves and you sit your butt on that bench and so you don't have to have your legs externally rotated like sitting cross-legged um and that i was having some knee problems on the last retreat i was on and the bench was like amazing that was a total game changer for me. yeah they're a little bit more expensive yeah a lot of different ways that you can sit in meditation so so we'll sit so get comfortable. Again, if you're driving, there's probably a lot that you could be hearing, a lot you can listen to. If you're at home or somewhere else and it's safe to close your eyes, I would recommend that for this practice so that we limit the visual sense and really get to focus on what we're hearing. So we'll start as we did in the previous practice with a couple of deep breaths just to settle into the body to feel the body supported by the seat, by the floor. Just coming into your experience, using the sensations of the breath to settle you into the present moment. Once you feel reasonably settled, you can let your breath go back to its regular rhythm and start to listen. You might notice the mind's inclination to make up a story. You hear a sound, then we think bird, then we picture a bird, then we think about something else. So when the stories about the sound arise, try to let those go. Every time the mind wanders from sound and goes off into thought or story, that is the practice. Just like it would be on stage. might find your mind anticipating the next sound or the end of a sound or reflecting on what you've just heard. Try to stay in the immediacy of the sounds you're hearing right now. And in the last few moments, if the mind has wandered, bring it back. If your eyes are closed, you can open them. Take in the room. You meditated again, hooray! Now you've meditated twice. You're basically a professional at this point. How was Sweet. that? It was good. I think my left ear is stronger than my right ear. Oh yeah. <laughs> like just a little bit. Yeah. Either that or there were just in more on sounds on the left side just because that's where the door is and that's where uh -huh. the outside is and that's where yeah. the windows are. But yeah, it was interesting. I really noticed because when I hear in real life, it feels, but when I did that, it really felt like one ear, other ear, one ear. Oh, ear. cool. So interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And that's all these practice, these simple practices are just about um, taking some time to become interested in everything that's going on rather than just being interested in the things that we typically pay attention to in the way we typically pay attention gives us an opportunity to expand our awareness. Hmm. Love that for singing. Oh, that's I interesting. Instead of like, oh, I didn't hit that high note. Oh, that's interesting that I didn't, it didn't come out the way I wanted it to. Why? Yeah. <laughs> right. Why? So what, you know, everything that happens is conditions coming together for some sort of outcome. Right. And so if we sing, if we sing a tone, not in the way that we intended for me, the first question is, well, did I intend anything? 
Was I, you know, if it didn't come out, air quotes, the way I wanted, did I actually take a moment before I sang it to want something in particular? Was I really present with the intention for what I wanted that to sound like? Or was it just sort of happenstance, in which case maybe the coordination was not ideal because the coordination wasn't in service to something specific? Nice. Well, this yeah. has been awesome. So where can cool. we find you and learn more about you? You can find me at Embodied Singer on Instagram, on Facebook, and www.embodiedsinger.com. And just in the last few weeks, I have launched Embodied Online. So Embodied Online has over 100 videos right now of voice instruction, movement, yoga-based movement practices that are very simple and intended to be accessible for every body. It can be done in a chair. None of it is like crazy yoga poses, I promise. You don't have to put your leg behind your head. All very accessible movement. Myofascial practices. So last time I was on, I talked a lot about um, myofascial release practices with soft kind of therapy balls. I now have dozens of videos of different practices. Those are great for singers. Um, breath practices, pranayama, and also meditations. And right now, all of that is free. Right now, can I be transparent about when we're recording this? Oh, I don't, yeah. Yeah, so we're recording this during COVID-19. So for the duration of COVID-19, right now yeah. we're recording this in April, um, it is free because I want people to have access to these resources. That's always important to me. So on my um, Embodied Singer Instagram, on Mondays I do Myofascial Monday, that will always be free. And on Thursdays, Thoughtful Thursday, which usually has some sort of contemplative or meditation content. And then after, um, once COVID-19 who knows how that's gonna evolve, but um, once we are able to do typical things again, that will go to a subscription model embodied online. But for right now, it's all free. There's an option to donate if you want to, but I really, really want people to have access to short, digestible, accessible practices that can help to nurture and support their singing. So all that's on there and I love to hear from you. So if you reach out and say, could you make a video about such and such? I totally will do it. <laughs> it's my pleasure to do that. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. So happy to talk about this. Thank you for sharing this with all of your listeners. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for choosing to hang out with me today. You are amazing for pursuing your dreams and becoming the star singer that you were meant to be. You can join the star singer movement by leaving a rating and review on iTunes or sharing this episode on IG stories. Leaving a rating and sharing this episode helps this podcast get seen by way more singers just like you. And that is creating a massive impact in one of the giant goals of this podcast, which is eliminating fear, anxiety, and non-productive competition from the music industry and helping to create a new music industry for singers based on collaboration, love, and making a difference and a real impact with your music.